Board Gaming with Education, a podcast for anyone curious about how games and education mix. We explore various topics like game-based learning, gamification, and board games, and the impacts they have on learning. Here's your host, Dustin Statz. So welcome to Board Gaming with Education. We have a really special guest with us, Danielle. She is the board game designer and graphic designer of the game Nutstash. And that game right now is on Kickstarter, so you can go check that out on kickstarter.com. And Danielle, would you mind introducing yourself to our listeners? Yeah, no problem. Thanks for having me. My name is Danielle Reynolds. I'm originally from Flagstaff, Arizona, currently reside in the suburbs of Chicago. I've been playing games since I was little. But I really got kicked back into it about a year or so ago and actually started designing. Awesome. So we'll get more into how you came into the field of designing, board game design. But first, tell us our first segment question. Can you tell us about a time you learned through games? Definitely. Honestly, I can think of a few different ways. I don't know. When I was really little, I had one of those teaching cash register things with the grocery. I don't know if you've ever seen those They might have been like a play school toy, but it came with paper money, came with the little plastic coins. And me and my friends, we played grocer. We would play hotel manager, which was always fun because I'd always tell them like, oh, you touched the mini bar. But when you're a little kid, you just like yell that, don't touch it. You don't understand that this orange juice is really going to cost our parents $10. So we learned a lot about money doing that. There was also this really fun, it was almost like a map twister game. I think it was called Map Tangle, but it taught you the different countries, which I i was not great at geography. My brother, he's a whiz. He's currently a flight attendant, so he goes everywhere. But um, it was a good way for me to learn those because there's a lot of places I probably would have never heard of had I not played that game. That's really cool. I think one thing, we have a lot of guests on here and they always talk about maybe a game they learn through in class. But one thing that a lot of game-based or gamification researchers mention is that as young kids, we learn what the world is through play. And that's really cool that you kind of talked about how you learned what money is through make-believe and playing a game of grocer and hotel, hotel receptionist. (laughs) That's really cool. Yeah. I mean, I can remember some times where we definitely played games like the name game or I know I I think it was on your show. I'd heard people talking about that headbands game where you can have different categories. I remember playing it at an all-stars camp. It's this leadership camp where we passed out playing cards from just like a normal poker deck and asked the kids to like put them on their face without looking at what it was. And we told them to treat people like the number or like the card. And of course, people would start bowing down if you're a king or queen. But if you had one of the lower numbers, a three or a two, like you would just, you'd say insults and you do all this, all these different things. And we're just like, at the end, it was a good learning experience because we talked to the kids about how just because you're a number, you're like something on the outside, like, should you treat them like that? Because they they all said like, but you told us to. And I'm like, no, it's up to interpretation what you thought we were asking you to do. But it was a really fun experience that I've had teachers use that game. But definitely when we did that, It was crazy to see how kids were affected because we talked about how some people felt sad when they were one of the lower numbers or how the like higher people were like, oh, I kept getting compliments. I felt really good about myself. 
But then other people will be like, oh, I felt bad treating, you know, the lower numbers mean. It's like, had I known that that wasn't something I had to do, I probably wouldn't. And so we kind of talked about peer pressure and just like different things like that. So it's kind of crazy what different games, like even the same game could be used in so many different ways. Right. That's really cool. I mean, and it's helpful to let kids go through that experience to kind of have a frame of reference to their real world and breaking down the social constructs of peer pressure in someone who wears nicer clothes maybe or um, it has a, is in a better situation might get treated a little bit better to maybe be aware of how we treat people not based on those social constructs, but just who they are and their actions. Most definitely. It was definitely a learning experience. I did it as a camper and then I did it as a counselor. And it, I'm, I think I enjoyed it more as a counselor, kind of leading the discussion. But no matter how many times we did it, it was an amazing experience. Awesome. So let's get into now you are a game designer. So from camp counselor to game designer, <laughs> how did you how did you get into that uh, I guess, hobby and a career. Well, I used to play games when I was a little kid. My dad, one of his best friends actually created, I don't know if you've ever seen it. It's, I think it's called like the smarts pyramid game. They came in like soccer ball, golf balls, and it was two different colored balls that you'd have to put in a pyramid together without two colors touching. So he had me testing that and different kinds of puzzles. And I had a block over our friends, the Godwins. They had all the different kinds of games that weren't Hasbro back before the internet was really a thing. So it's like, you didn't really know how they got those games because it wasn't something you would have ever seen before. So through playing those, I used to make my own games. I would draw on like cardboard. I designed this Digimon game because I had a bunch of little Digimon figurines. I brought it to school and everyone's like, this is a great game. So I was doing that a lot when I was little. But then, you know, as you go to high school, middle school, college, you just have so much work to do. And then you get into the real world and figure that out. But probably about a year and a half ago, I kind of got back into it. And that was through meeting someone who's now one of my best friends. But actually, at the time, he was a complete stranger. I met him at a Comic-Con. He was from Canada. His name was Ryan Costello. And that kind of just like flipped me back into what I used to do when I was little. Really cool. And so now you have your first game, Nutstash, on Kickstarter. Uh, which is really cool. I'm on the Kickstarter page and I really like uh, the artwork and the graphic design of the game. It seems very um, easy to pick up for people to learn and play. I'm just going to read maybe the first line here. It's a fast-paced, real-time game of rolling dice and matching sets. But maybe you can tell us a little bit about the game and where the idea came from. I'll start out uh, where it came from. So... I was actually playing this game called Tenzi and also Farkle. I don't know if you've ever played those. They're dice-based games where you're kind of just rolling to match numbers, get different pairs, be the first person to roll like six dice to get all ones or whatever you decide to do with the rule set because there's a few different kinds. I was playing it with my aunt who she actually has cancer and they use this as a PT or a physical therapy exercise. And through doing it, it works with the dexterity. But of course, it's more just like having something to focus on for only a short period of time, like 10 to 15 minutes. And I like the idea of a really quick game. So I took the idea of maybe matching dice and I added it to cards. 
And my love of when I used to play like spoons or um, any of those fast place war games or Egyptian uh, rat killer where you're going really quickly and you're grabbing cards. So I did kind of a combination of all those, put my own twist on it because I've always loved chipmunks and squirrels. I used to be able to talk like Alvin the Chipmunks and when I won like a talent show doing it. So I always called that my spirit animal and my cats love squirrels. They love chasing them and like yelling at them. So it just seemed like the idea of stashing nuts was just a good concept for like matching things, adding up things because, you know, in your stash, you could have more than just one nut, but maybe if there's not enough nuts, you can't like completely solidify it for winter. Maybe it's not safe. Now someone else can steal your nuts. Yeah, that's, that's really cool. I see. I'm looking at one of the pictures too, and there's a, it almost looks like a, he has a bunch of nuts behind him, a squirrel. And one of the nuts has the Wilson volleyball on there. Is that right? <laughs> Yeah, good reference. Yeah. Castaway. <laughs> yeah, really cool. Yeah, so I see there are some previews and reviews from some pretty popular media outlets like Unfiltered Gamer and Tantrum House. What have people, how have they responded to the game so far? So far, I've got a lot of really good responses. I mean, this game isn't built for the Euro heavy gamer. It's definitely built for the casual gamer, the gamer who has a family or kids, or someone who just wants a really quick uh, pick-me-up before starting a game night. Like maybe you got off of work, you're kind of tired, and this is a really good adrenaline rush for that. It's a perfect icebreaker game. But it's definitely geared towards more of a younger audience or just people that are a little more on the lighter side of gaming. And all the reviews, that's kind of what has come out from it. I've heard things about it being very fast-paced. I've heard people say, like, this is a great game for the demographic it's meant to be in, which is exactly, I mean, what you want to hear because no game is perfect for everybody. And I definitely recommend anyone who's on here to go to the Unfiltered Gamer. He has a very good, honest feedback on, like, what he liked. He did a live stream of it with some friends. And, you know, everyone was laughing. It's, It's a lot of fun. Cool. Yeah, it's really, really good to, I think, focus in on who your audience is for the game. And that's awesome that I think, and I haven't had a chance to play it, but based on some of the videos I've seen, I think the game nails that audience. So that's really awesome. So the Kickstarter is now and when is the last day for it? So anyone that listens to this episode, it should be coming out during the Kickstarter. When is the last day that someone can get on and back it? The last day is actually going to be on 4th of July. I figured it was a perfect day to end it, have some fireworks to celebrate. (laughs) That's awesome. So also, this is an education podcast and there are some mechanics in the game. Can you tell us a little bit about how these mechanics can transfer over to an educational setting? For sure. I mean, just in education, when you're younger, you're trying to learn like simple math skills. You're trying to learn to identify different numbers, different shapes to create kind of matching pairings. So with these cards, that is basically what you're doing, but you're doing it under a pressure similar to when you have to take those time tests when you're little. I know I used to hate them. I I was so bored of them. I would just randomly write in numbers, but you can't really do this because for everything that's stashed wrong or any leftover card, it's actually counted as negative points. So you have to pay attention, but it's a great way of, I know multitasking really isn't a term people use anymore because it's technically impossible, but time management wise, you have to be focusing on new cards coming up, trying to match them. So you have to identify those numbers, be very quick to grab them, but also figure out how you're going to properly stash things by either matching the nut card to the stash card or adding up, say, a one nut with a two nut equals a three stash card. 
And they're all identified with symbols. The nuts are acorns, and then the stash are little treasure chests, which are also featured on the back of the card. I have, you know, you mentioned the Wilson volleyball little thing going on. So that's this, all the nut cards are going to have the picture of the squirrel holding up that little nut with the little handprint Wilson. And all the stash cards are going to have the chipmunk on the back who's kind of like hoarding a treasure chest full of nuts. Cool. I think, yeah, it's it, it does test some... Management and prioritizing whether you want to prioritize the the mashing, getting it correct, or the speed. (laughs) Yeah, if you want to get more cards, because if you take too long, all the cards are going to be taken. Right. But even in the artwork, I made sure that all the stash cards are actually places that chipmunks and squirrels would have stashed their nuts in real life, different places. And then for the nut cards, it's places you would just find a nut in everyday life. So maybe on your ice cream sundae or at a ball game or uh, chestnuts roasting on an open fire, just fun little cartoony drawings that kind of match the theme, but also educate a little bit. I even chose two predators that are a little bit less known. They're more known in my area of Arizona, where I'm originally from. So I chose the hawk and a coyote. And I learned a lot about coyotes, just trying to figure out how to differentiate them from a wolf. So that actually, that card took the longest out of all the artwork. Can you can you tell us a little bit about, about the differences? <laughs> sure. They're a little bit more lean. They're a little more scrappy, small. Their ears are more pointed. Their snouts are a little longer, which that gave us trouble when we were trying to do that because we didn't want it to be like that crazy long, wily coyote look. (laughs) But then also their colors are a little more on the sandy side. But honestly, you could find a coyote that looks just like a smaller wolf with that gray coat. Yeah, I I really like the artwork. It's really, really cute. I think maybe my favorite on the Kickstarter page, at least, is the the stretch goal artwork where they're the the squirrels are kind of working together to stash nuts up into <laughs> to a big stretch goal tree, I guess. Oh yeah. I think it's funny because it's like the chipmunks are really struggling. They're using teamwork and this last one is just really trying to lift that last stretch goal. But I definitely think that a huge shout out to Ellen Cooper who did all the artwork. I did the original sketches, but he just made it that much better. Yeah, I like it. So I kind of want to, we talked about this before and I maybe I can pick your brain and I'm sure some listening into the show, I know we have some teachers who also design games and teachers maybe who don't design games, but how did you come up with the mechanic? Because I think that dice rolling mechanic can be used in a classroom setting somehow. I'm not sure exactly how, but in the game you roll dice and you match the dice with the card. How did you come up with that mechanic to also like stash those nuts away? Um, You know, honestly, in my mind, I was driving back from Gen Con two years ago and I was like stashing nuts, chipmunks and squirrels. And I was like, how do I do it? Like, how do I make it work? And then I remembered playing that game with my aunt and I was like, wait, I could roll maybe I could roll dice. And I was like, do I make a bunch of dice? But I was like, no, but I like cards because of the illustrations. It was just this weird, like three hour drive where I just kind of figured it out. (laughs) But um, as far as rolling dice in a school setting, I do think it's a great way to learn. I mean, honestly, uh, you can learn like kind of how to predict what's going to be rolled because you start to learn with like two dice. There's definitely things that are going to get rolled more is like a seven. But with a six-sided dice and my game plays up to six you know people you'd think statistically if everyone rolled at the same time someone would have to get the card number because i mean you have six players six dice 
it's it's a good shot. And yet we'll still have times where it like lags and no one is rolling the right number and you're just getting kind of frustrated, but it's funny. Right. It's just one of those times where you're just rolling and rolling and rolling. It's just not coming. Not coming. <laughs> it's pretty funny though to watch. And when someone finally gets it, they're like, ha. Ah! Yeah, I think one one experience with dice in education for me, at least, I I think the idea of just bringing dice into the classroom grabs our students' attention. Uh, when we used a World's XP as a RPG gamification kit we're working on, and the first time when I brought dice into my wife's classroom, the students' eyes just like they lit up. They're like, "Oh, I know what this is. I'm." I'm ready to hear what the teacher has to say now. No, I definitely agree. I mean, people like to mess with dice. You'll just see that when you're playing D&D or any dice game. People like to mess with it. They like to hold it. And for some reason, it's just like it's more fun to hold. It's like a fidget toy versus a card, which I mean, what do you do? You bend it. Maybe you're that person who for some reason holds it against their face. (laughs) But I can I remember we used dice as almost like a Sudoku puzzle once. My teacher had us playing and we just had like this small map and there was already a few numbers that were on there. And so we had to like roll to create the Sudoku. So eventually we kind of realized like, why are we rolling? Like, let's just turn them and stuff. But we would compete against each other to like get to the right number and put it in the right space and like have our teacher check it. And that was really fun because I love competition. I mean, it makes learning more fun, <laughs> but I also like team competition, which is fun in Nutstash because you're playing as either like Team Squirrel or Team Chipmunk. And it's not like necessary for the game. It's just more fun for the narrative. Yeah, I think and in the classroom, is, I think healthy competition is always, always good. And collaboration is always good, too. So that's really cool. I think the I like the idea of what you mentioned, the Sudoku I'm not a math teacher, so I'm not sure how that can be applied, but a Sudoku dice race would be a cool classroom activity, I think, working on like division or multiplication. So this is your first game, Nutstash on Kickstarter, and you also mentioned you might might have a future game. Do you have any future games in store? Yeah, I do, actually. The one that is basically, it's at the playtesting stage. It's called Curbside. It's about a taxi driver. So basically... You can play up two to four. Everyone is a taxi driver. Dispatch is calling in the location of different passengers and their locations of where they need to be dropped off. And so I actually use a grid system to roll the dice to have it be completely random where these different passengers and their drop-off destinations are going to be. And then you just use tile placement, hand management to figure out a route to get there. And then, of course, there's some different cards that are going to like get in your way. And you also have to manage your gas levels because, of course, with every movement, you lose a little bit of gas. But it's actually on Tabletopia right now for free for people to test out and give their opinions. I'm actually going to be pitching it I have a few different companies that were interested. So next week at Origins, I'll be there pitching the game and hopefully even playing it with some people. Really cool. And that's curbside. So we'll keep an eye out for that as well. So do you have anything else maybe you can say before we head into the final segment question? Well, honestly, I mean, 
I have loved that games are used in education. I loved doing it when I was little. And right now I'm actually engaged to a teacher. She does STEM, music, and a little bit of basically everything, I swear. They they make her do science projects. Like I had to help her do eight science fair boards. But she uses games to grab kids' attentions because it seems with technology attention spans of children just seem to be shrinking and shrinking. And so having like a board game to focus on for maybe 20 minutes or just like a little activity, they just need that stimulation. They need something to like get their attention. And games just seem to be that way to do it back when I was little, back when these kids are little. I mean, I will play games outside with my little cousins and they'll be entertained for hours. But as soon as we're indoors sitting, they're just like, oh, can I borrow your cell phone? Can I go on the TV? Like, I feel like it's really nice that we have these different games to try to not only teach children, but also get them focused on things that aren't electronics. Right. I think it's super important to reach our students in different ways. And I think board games or games in general are, are a great opportunity for that. And I think you're right. I, I use a lot of tech in my classroom, but it's important to pull away from that sometimes because I think that a lot of times students don't get that social interaction as much as maybe in the past. It's hard for me to say since I'm not, <laughs> I'm not a student in the past and now in the future. Yeah. I mean, I remember we used to do like competitions with Legos and you'd have one person who's blindfolded, another person who can like point, but they can't talk. And you'd have to like work together to build whatever picture was on the, like on the piece of paper that we were given. Or you just did all these fun activities that were outside of electronics. And I know towards the end of me going to school, that's when things like Prezi came up for like presentations and you had the like Quizlet and those different like kind of fun, almost trivia games that did pop up. And I mean, those were a lot of fun and they're better than just like flashcards or writing on a chalkboard. But I I like going back to some of those original games and original concepts of just like hanging out with people and like working on a team for some common goal. Right. And I think there's something about that raw process of creating the flashcards versus the teacher giving you the, the quiz lit or quizzes, right? Yeah. All right. So let's go to our final segment question. And that is, if you are stuck on a deserted island. And you can take three board games or we open this up to any other games. What (laughs) would you bring? Okay. Am I alone or am I going to be able to play with other people? So you get people, but as soon as the game starts, they just randomly appear. And when the game finishes, the winner, they randomly disappear. (laughs) Okay, so basically I'm losing my mind. Got it. Well, I love the game Settlers of Catan. That would be fun. It would be kind of hilariously ironic to be playing this game trying to get resources when you're stuck on an island where you should probably be like focusing your attention on actually getting real resources to live but then I've really been into Dominion lately I've been playing that quite a bit so I'd say maybe that one is my second choice and funny enough I was gonna make a joke about volleyball and Wilson because like you need your little buddy but you 
got the reference from one of my cards in my game. So I feel like I need to choose something else now. Um, you know, I used to really like Clue, like just trying to figure out like who killed who or whatever. I, I really enjoyed playing that. And we had the Office Edition when I was at my house in Arizona. So I think maybe the Office Edition of Clue go for like one of those original games. Wait, there's a, like the TV show, The Office Edition? Yeah, there is. Oh, cool. Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you could probably guess like who got killed. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, awesome. So check that out. I didn't know they made a retheme of that for The Office. Yeah, I I don't know how we got it. I think it was a gift or something, but it was always fun to play. Like there was the Dumpy Trophy and like a paperweight, like different things that were themed towards The Office that would kill you. All right, Danielle, thank you again for stopping by and... For anyone listening, Nutstash on Kickstarter, check it out. But before we do go, where can anyone reach out to you or where can they find Nutstash or any other any of your other future games? Well, definitely the easiest place to find all of the games, including Nutstash, the Kickstarter, Curbside, and any future game that's going to be posted would be at my website. It's www.dmrcreativegroup.com slash games. Otherwise, just search Google, search Kickstarter, type in Nutstash, and we're the only Nutstash on there. So you should be able to find us. Awesome. So again, check out Nutstash. It will be on there and they'll celebrate the end of the Kickstarter, 4th of July. Uh, Daniel, thank you again very much for coming by. I think you shared some very insightful things for our listeners and people that tune into the show. No, thank you for having me. Thank you for listening in this week. If you like what you heard, be sure to let us know. You can find us on social media as Board Gaming with Education or BGE Games or email us at podcast at boardgamingwitheducation.com. If you want to support our podcast, be sure to check out our support page on our website. As always, teach better, learn more, and most importantly, play more. Thank you for listening and until next time.